The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. Alright, so like I said, we're going to start here. So, you guys are at Walking with God in Pain and Suffering. Just a few things before we dive in. One, uh, to spend like 35 minutes to dive in this topic is pretty difficult. So, just realize that we're only going to really scratch the surface as we start to talk about some of these things. But, we hope this can kind of start a conversation or a discussion. And we want you guys to know that we'd be more than willing to meet with you guys, talk with you guys. So if you guys have questions coming off of this, so we're going to try to shoot for 35-ish minutes, and then we'll do a Q&A at the end, but this is kind of just scratching the surface. So kind of on that note, um, a couple of resources that really helped us was Tim Keller has a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, also the title of our talk. <laughs> is it a coincidence? I think not, no. So he, was, uh, he has a lot of good stuff to say in that um, we use some stuff from David Platt, and we'll tell you guys. And then we quote a bunch of other people, but uh, we also have kind of a list of resources for you guys. So if you're like, gosh, I'd love to hear some more stuff or read some more articles, we have like these half sheets. We can email them to you. You guys could take them. You can take a picture of it. But we'd love to like further resource you guys because we realize 35 minutes with this broad of a topic probably isn't enough time. But with that being said, and us having a limited number of time, let me pray and then we'll dive in. God, I'm thankful for time that we can spend, uh, to spend a few days asking these questions. What does it mean to walk with you through pain and suffering? What does it mean to know you more? How can we see you as greater? And yet, God, I pray you'd meet us even now during this time. Um, I pray you'd teach us from your word. And God, I pray that you would help us see that you're with us in the midst of our pain and suffering, and you want us to lean into you. So God, would that happen even now we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So before we kind of jump in, Nikki and I want to share a little bit of our story and kind of where we've been at this last year. And then we're going to jump into kind of a theology of pain and suffering. And then what do we do with pain and suffering? So that's kind of where we're going if you're like a type A, like an outline type person. But first, uh, I think we got a picture. It's kind of weird to show a picture of yourself and be up here, but that's us on our wedding day, if you can believe it. So we've been married, it'll be seven years in April. So hitting the seven-year mark. So first two years were, were rough, and since then it's been just awesome. Yeah, no. Um, but my name's Reed. This is my wife, Nikki. Uh, so we're kind of going to tag team, tag teach up here. Um, did you say anything else? That's it for me. Um, so we're going to talk, like he said, a little bit about our story. Can everyone hear me too? If anyone in the back can't hear me, just give me a thumbs up to go louder. Um, you can go to the next slide. So Reed and I, when we sat down to do this talk, it was pretty daunting for us because I'd say between the two of us, we both have broken families. We've experienced death, cancers um, within our families. Um, I've had a life-threatening injury. Um, we've had abuse. And that's just touching on just between the two of us. That's not even the people around us. Um, but there's one thing that kind of has defined our last year and probably the last almost seven years that we've been married that we would say is probably the hardest thing that we've ever been through. And you're probably like, what is this picture? I'm, I'm going to get there. Um, and this all started um, about a year ago, since, uh, last yeah. August, so a year and a half ago. We were at return training. Do you guys know what summer training project is? If you don't, you're going to find out about it at some point um, this week. But we were at return training, which is the last week where they wrap up um, project. And I had gotten a phone call that one of my good friends, who's, his name's Jameson, his wife, Catherine, and then their three kids, um, they were in a car accident, and they all passed away. And they, so I went to high school with Jameson, knew him in college, um, and they're a missionary family that was getting ready. They had sold all their stuff. They were getting ready to go to Japan. And um, they were out in Colorado on their last um, training thing, and they got hit by a semi. And instantly, all of them were at home with the Lord. And that was really, really hard for both of us um, because it was about the first person our age that we knew really well um, that had passed away. And that's, little did I know, that was just the start um, to this chapter of our lives. But we ended up going to their funeral. 
And at their funeral, the way that they honored the lives of the three little ones was unbelievable. I mean, they sang each of, I probably will cry thinking about it, but they sang each, each of them a lullaby and talked about story after story of how these kids impacted people for the gospel. And, I, you know, looking at him, it's like, he's three. Like, how, how does that work out? Um, but story after story, I sat um, in our church and was just rocked um, with something I had never been um, hit with before. And it was, like, I think in my life, maybe I felt the Lord, like, shake me in this way maybe once or twice. Um, but I felt him telling me, you have a wrong view of children. And if you knew me, like, at one point in my life, I didn't want to be married. Another point, I mean, for a large part of our, I know, shocking. Um, <laughs> another part um, of my life was defined by not wanting children because I thought they slow down mission. Like, I am, I'm going. Like, kids are just going to wreck that. I'm going to be a slave in my own house chained up while my husband gets to continue on a life and everything's going to change for me. That's what I thought. And that is disgusting (laughs) for so many different ways. And I feel like at that funeral, everything changed. And I left. It it was a a clear defining moment where I left and I told Reed, I was like, I think we need to have kids. And he, I mean, he, you were... I was sold. (laughs) He was like, okay, (laughs) let's do it. Um, And it, it was as simple as that. And so we left, and we ran it by the people around us and asked them, you know, are we, are we crazy? Like, is this just an emotional low that we're just riding off of? And, and they were like, no, I think you guys should have kids. So everyone around us was giving us the thumbs up, and so we prayed about it and thought, let's try to have a family. And um, the crazy thing about it was we got pregnant within two months of that. And so it felt like, man, like, okay, obedience to the Lord, or heart change, obedience to the Lord, now God's providing based off of that obedience that I have and out of his goodness. And we were excited and happy. And um, we had gone to a couple appointments and gotten to see uh, my first ultrasound. And we got to see a heartbeat. And we got to see this cute little wiggle worm um, on the ultrasound. And it was at our, we were almost nine weeks. And it was at that appointment that we went in. And um, we found out that the baby had passed away two days before that. And, man, I like I could describe everything to you in that room um, and how all of a sudden it was just really sad and dark and confusing in a lot of different ways. And I think that created, that, like, really opened the door to what the heck, God, like, you changed my heart. First of all, we lost good friends of ours. Then you used it for good to change my heart towards you, then you provided, then you took it away. Um, and I think that has kind of marked our entire last year, um, creating questions in our hearts of how did God change our hearts, provide, take it away, and then not provide again. It's not like, yay, like, oh, the week after that we got pregnant again. He left us in waiting. Um, and then asking the question, is God good? Did he cause this? Who caused this? Is this just an entity of death in the world or was it at God's hands um and where is he so we were kind of left with all of those questions um over the last year of our life and so that's kind of where we're at coming in and uh even as we were talking about giving this talk as a leadership team we were meeting like hey why don't read Nikki why don't you guys do this and it was like we're not like excited to like give this talk and yet Paul in his wise words he's just like just be real with where you're at and be real with how you guys walk through this, and that's going to help a lot of people. And so that's kind of where we're at coming in. And I wonder about you guys. Like, I wonder what your story is. Chances are it's maybe not the same thing, but there's probably pain. There's probably suffering there. There's probably something going on. And there was a counselor that shared with our staff team, and one of the things he said that stuck with me is he said, any story interrupted at the wrong time would be a tragedy. Any story, if you were to hit the pause button at the wrong time, would be a tragedy. And that line just stuck with me. uh, And it just made me think, like, again, where are you guys at right now? Like, if you hit pause on your life right now, would you say, there's pain, there's suffering here? And uh, at some point, there probably will be if there's not right now. And so that's kind of where we're going. And yet, God's not done with your story. God's not done with your story. So kind of some introduction-type thoughts. And then we'll move into a theology of suffering and then kind of how to walk through suffering. Um, So 
just even unpacking that quote by just using the story of Jesus real quick. So if you think about the birth of Jesus, we just celebrated Christmas, right? And if you were to just hit pause at multiple points, even within the birth of Jesus, you'd be like, what the heck? This isn't how it's supposed to be. Like, so Mary gets pregnant as she's engaged. It's like, you hit pause there. It's like, wait a second. She's not married to Joseph. So she either had an affair on Joseph or they had sex before marriage, but something's not right in this story. And yet that's how the savior of the world was born, right? Or if you keep going after that, Herod says any baby under the age of two, we're going to kill them. If you hit pause there, like that's a terrible story. And yet God wasn't done there. Or if you take how Jesus was born, he's born in a manger. So he's basically born out in the backyard, like not in a hospital, not in a hotel. He's in a manger. It's like, that's not how the story of the Savior of the world is supposed to go. And yet, God had a plan in it. Like, that's exactly how God drew it up. It's not like God was like, man, what just happened there? It's like, God used that the, exactly the way he wanted to, to make that happen. So, so before we kind of jump into a theology of suffering, I just want to help you guys understand culturally, we don't really have good categories for pain and suffering. So, Tim Keller, well, I'll get to Tim Keller, but if you just think about how our culture works with Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Moochie was talking about this either today or yesterday, everything kind of starts to blur, but he was talking about this, we live a filtered life, like we live a life that we want to project that people can see, right? And that's kind of what our culture values. Our culture values happiness, speed, efficiency, comfort, and so that automatically means if something is bad, painful, or hard, it's, it's not good, right? Like, that's just culturally how we step into it. And yet, most of the time, God works through the slow, through the painful, through the long, through the hard, and that's how He works. And so, we need to develop categories for understanding this. So, Tim Keller says this. I don't know if we put it up there. I don't think so. Okay. Tim Keller says this. He says, uh, the meaning of Western society, so what we value as a culture, is individual freedom and happiness. So then suffering is of no possible use. So if we only value individual freedom and happiness, suffering has no practical use for us. And if this is our worldview, the only thing to do with suffering is to avoid it at all costs, or if it's unavoidable, to manage and minimize the effects of pain and discomfort as much as possible. So... Because as a culture we value individual freedom and happiness, we don't have categories for pain and suffering. So when pain and suffering comes on our radar, what we do automatically is we run from it and try to avoid it or we minimize it. Like, I need to stuff my emotions because this is a bad thing. And we don't have categories for how to deal with it. So with the rest of our time, we want to help you guys kind of get categories for how to deal with it. But before we get there, just a few quick kind of snapshots of what suffering could look like and it's hard to put suffering exactly into categories because suffering and pain exist on a like wide level right um so suffering to us might look way different than it would to someone else and yet it's all real and it all can be very painful so um suffering so one of the categories is suffering for evil so what i mean by that is there can be suffering that exists uh as a result of something that you did or sin in your life. So say you're driving and you're drunk and you get caught, you're going to get your license taken away. So you did something wrong or something bad and you're suffering as a result of what you did. Does that make sense? Like there's a clear tie to something that happened that was bad that you did. You know what I'm saying? And that could be called suffering. Other suffering or a category for it could be suffering for good. So the Bible talks about this a lot. Like, the idea of maybe having convictions on what the Bible says, the world could persecute us or we could be suffered for what we believe to be true. And that's probably going to happen all the more. I mean, you just take categories like marriage. You take other categories now in our culture that are controversial. Taking a stand for those categories could produce suffering and bad things that happen to us, but they're good things we're standing for. Does that make sense? So that's another category, suffering for good. And then maybe the third category is is uh universal suffering and universal suffering are things like death and cancer like they're inevitable and just parts of things that happen like there's no real tie or connection to how in the world this came about but yet it's still there you know what i'm saying 
Or another way to think about this category would be like, there's no real reason to connect it, but it's still suffering. And a lot of times suffering falls into this group. It's, it can be universal or not quite a reason to connect it to. And there could be even more categories for suffering, but these are just three easy ways to kind of identify different categories. And yet at the same time, it's not like enough to fill that out. Um, but now we want to move towards a doctrine or theology of suffering. So David Platt has probably like a 10 or 15 minute podcast thing that if you guys want to, again, we have resources for you guys. If you guys want to look at, look at that later, but we kind of took some of this and just stole it from him because we thought it was really good. Um, but essentially a lot of times when we think about, so there's four things here with the theology of suffering. So four questions I want to answer when it comes to a theology of suffering a lot of times when we think about this idea of suffering, our starting place is God. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about is who is God in our suffering? Who is God in our suffering? So uh, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things, including pain, including brokenness, including suffering, work together for our good. So one of the starting places we have to have when we try to understand or enter into a theology of suffering is who is God in the midst of our suffering. And most of the time our starting place is we ask the question, is God good? Like why would God allow this to happen? And then the second question we usually ask is, if God, if he isn't good, like is he in control? Like why hasn't he done something about this? Like, if he truly is good and, and if he's in control and if he's all-powerful, like, why hasn't he acted in such a way that he's taken this away? Like, why has he allowed this to happen? And this view, when we view God in this way, it kind of creates this spiraling effect where we start to ask these questions like, is God real? Like, what in the world is he doing? Like, he's able to heal and yet he's not. And it can just lead to all this confusion. And yet... What Romans 8.28 tells us is that God is good in everything. Like God works together all things for our good. Pain, suffering, brokenness. Now that doesn't mean that that's going to be easy. That doesn't mean it's going to be a season of your life that you're going to be like, man, I'm so glad I went through that. But God is working it for your good. So there's actually another category that we can have of God in the midst of our pain and suffering. And it is he's working it for our good. Like, just because God is behind it can mean that he's the one who's orchestrating and illustrating it. Does that make sense? So we have to understand who God is. And even as I say that, God's the ultimate author of our story. So he's the one who's in control of all of this. And he's the one who's working it for our good. And that should be our starting place to enter into the conversation of pain and suffering and truly changes everything. And kind of just a tangent thought and Tim Keller goes more detail into this but if you remove God from pain and suffering you're actually left with something way worse like you don't have a category for good or bad you don't have a category for evil pain or suffering and you don't have any hope and if you want we can talk more about that because I know I just kind of threw that at you real quick but to remove God from the equation doesn't actually make it any easier to deal with but if we start with the category that God is good and he's working it for our good, I think can really help us in the process. So the second thing... And that, yeah, that also keeps him as like a, the high view of God instead of a small trunca- truncated view of God. Because I think like the first thing when we go through something hard is we make him out to be really small, which fits all of those categories. And having a big view of God keeps us in the right place and him in the right place as all-powerful, all-knowing, all of those things. So the second thing we need to understand is who are we in the midst of suffering? or So who are we in the middle of suffering? And essentially, this is kind of the opposite of what I just shared. As far as we have to have a high view of God, but we have to have a right view of ourselves. So most of the time, we think of ourselves as the author of the story. Most of the time, we think of ourselves as we're the one who's in control. Tim Keller says this. He says, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see that not only are we not in control of our lives, but we never were. So what happens when we experience pain and suffering is we, it's a clear reminder that we're not in control of our lives. And so often what we're trying to do is hang on so tightly to our life, hang on so tightly to what we want and desire. And yet we're not the ones who are in control. 
God is. So we actually see a right understanding of who we are humbles us. A right understanding of who we are um, gives us a humble view of who we are. Also, a right understanding of ourselves helps us see that we're depraved and sinful. Like part of the reason that pain and suffering are in the world is ultimately sin entered the world in Genesis 3. And sin has reigned since then. There's sin in all of us and that's part of who we are is sinful. And we have a finite view of who we are. We have a very limited scope of who we are. So again, I, I kind of introed with this quote of any story interrupted at the wrong time would be a tragedy. And yet we don't know what's next. Like we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's ahead. It's, it's like a period in our story, but the story is not done. And yet we have a very small view of our story in life. So that's who we are in the midst of suffering. And then number three, so again, these are just things, if we answer these questions, these help us understand suffering. Um, so, oh, sorry. <laughs> Did they get mixed up? So, yeah. so number two, or number three should be, how does God use suffering? How does God use suffering? So we're actually going to come back to this at the very end, but I just want to give you guys a few more categories to help think about this. But number three, how does God use suffering? The ultimate reason suffering exists is to exalt God's grace in sending Jesus to cover our sins. So one of the things we actually see in Christianity is that suffering is at the heart of the story of Christianity. Like God sent his only son into the world to suffer for us so that we could be saved. Like within God's story of redemption is suffering for us. And we see that and we're going to talk about that more in a minute, but we also see in the Bible categories over and over again, but God is over suffering. Like, so what I mean is evil is submissive to God. Does that make sense? Like, if you just look at the story of Job, for example, like Satan is there asking God permission of what he can do to Job. And, and God's like, you can do anything, just don't take his life. But God is the one who ultimately controls everything. So even evil and suffering has a limited leash underneath God's authority, which is helpful for us to understand. Um, also, just a, another point under this topic of how God uses suffering. Suffering is all throughout the Bible. Like, this is one of the reasons I love the Bible. Like, the Bible isn't a polished book. That's, it's not like Facebook. It's not like Instagram that gives you this fake filtered view. Like, man, you read the Psalms, you read Ruth, you read Job, you read story after story in the Bible is filled with real stories, real things that happen that include suffering, it includes pain, it includes brokenness. Um, And so that gives us hope. Like, we have a book that we can go to to see those things. So finally, number four, and this one should be right, why suffering? So this is kind of like the big question. Like, if we can just answer the question of why suffering... We feel like it can make it easier. And yet, even as I give you these categories for why suffering, they, they aren't going to be like enough. And it'll make sense here in a minute. But um, so why suffering? So God can use suffering for a number of different ways. Okay. A number of different ways. So one way he could use suffering is to help grow us. Help grow us. So a lot of times as we're in the midst of pain and suffering, God's stretching us. He's, he's growing us. He's using it for us. And maybe a second way he's using it, so if the first one's to grow us or stretch us, the second one is to draw us towards himself, to make us need him more. I quoted Keller earlier saying that uh, in the midst of suffering, God's kind of like trying to shake us and wake us up. And a lot of times in the midst of our suffering, when we see that we're not in control, we need to run to him. It forces us to need him, which is where we should be. So he's pushing us towards himself. Which even, I feel like we saw that even, I mean, I saw that point blank. And maybe you would too. If you think about something that you've gone through that's really hard versus maybe like a semester at school that you've had that's great, everything's going for you, which one do you pray more during? Or if you have something hard coming up or someone's sick or something happens to you, it's interesting how we're so quick to pray then and maybe not as much when things are going well. So even, even that, I feel like that draw us to himself would be what I would categorize the year that we've had is through a lot of tears and sadness, he's pulling us to him. 
and offering us comfort that way. And even though it's been hard, we felt really close together and unified to the Lord because it's caused us to need him. Mm-hmm. And then number three, uh, God can use suffering to draw us away from sin. So sometimes what it takes is something in our life that shakes us, that wakes us up. And sometimes pain and suffering is that thing that causes us to run and move away from sin. Like that's the very thing God's using to say, hey, wake up. Like, hey, you need to see this. Hey, you need to hear this. Hey, you need to run and repent from this. And then finally, the fourth reason, and this is probably where most suffering falls into, is just we don't really know. Like we don't, it'd be nice if we could put a reason behind all of our suffering, why God's using it. And yet most of the time in the midst of suffering, we just don't know. Like we don't have a good reason for what's going on. Which even in the midst of suffering, a lot of time it takes time in looking back for you to like, oh, like that's what God was doing. Like it takes, it can take like years later where you fully realize like, oh, that's what God was doing in that moment. So it's not like in the middle of it, it's probably not going to be super helpful to like try to stamp on one of these categories to what's God doing here. But usually looking back, you'll be able to identify maybe a little bit more of what God's doing. But a lot of times in the moment, it's like, I don't really know. And that's a totally okay spot to be. And yet, what we want to do now with some of the rest of our time is how do we respond in the midst of suffering? So even now, a lot of you guys probably have hard things and pain in your life. What do we do with that? So we just gave you like the biblical answer for what suffering is. And, but what do we do? How do we handle it? So to move into this category, I think I'd ask the question, in your suffering, or if you can think back to a hard season of your life, or if you can't, it, it's coming. Um, what, have you moved towards God, or have you moved away from God? Or even someone that's close to you, that you've walked through suffering with them, that can feel like suffering also or hardship, have they moved away from God or towards God? Because I think initially, when we found everything out, I think I was moving away from God. And I think there's two categories of that. Um, And it's either lamenting, which is pouring your heart out before the Lord, raw feelings um, directed towards the Lord, or there's whining, which whining um, has no real outcome. You're dissatisfied, um, and you're just complaining about things. And um, Cofield says, I think, I don't know if I put this up there. Can you hit next? May uh, next. Keep going. Go one more. Wait, go back. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we, I didn't even make that. I don't know. Um, so there's a, a Cofield quote again that said, there's a difference between whining and lamenting. Whining is moving towards or moving away from God in your suffering, while lamenting is moving towards God in the face of struggle. And we actually got to sit down with um, Dr. Cofield, and one of the things he challenged us to is to read through Lamentations 3, which if you are like me, you think Lamentations 3, and one of the most um, maybe misused verses in the Bible or miss out of context used things is his mercies are new each morning. Like when you hear, if I were to tell you, his mercies are new each morning, do you think women's Bible study, deer up to the window, what's that, like enchanted where birds are singing and like it, it, the life is glorious, his, ner- his mercies are new each morning. And one of the things that I didn't realize was that was born out of lament. So what I want you guys to do, if you have a Bible, we're going to do this together, otherwise you can look on the screen, but open up to Lamentations 3. And can I have, um, we're going to first go to, so you can flip this one. We're first going to read um, 3, 13 through 20. And can I have a bold volunteer read nice and loud 13 through 20? And oh, and before you do that, I want you to, um, I'm going to ask you the question, what phrases does he use to describe his pain? Um, and it's Jeremiah. He's speaking towards the Lord, and he's speaking about, um, in response to the Babylonians taking over Jerusalem. So there's lots of death, lots of destruction. And this is his heart before the Lord. So can someone read um, 13 through 20, chapter 3? Who's got it? 13 through 20, loud. Yeah. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all people, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has saved me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereaved of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance is perished. So has my hope in the Lord. 
Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. Wait, stop. Thank Yes. Cool. Thanks, Zach. Um, so what do you guys notice? You guys can shout him out. What are the ways that he, what are the things he uses to describe his pain? Yeah, sounds horrible. It's never happened to me, but it sounds horrible. What else? Being laughed and taunted at. Yeah, laughed and taunted at. What else? Teeth grinding on gravel. Teeth grinding on gravel. Yeah. Anything else? Doesn't remember what happiness is. Someone He's filled with bitter herbs. Yeah, bitterness. Anything else? So if you look at that, like those descripti- those descriptions, actually, the first time I read through that, that was really helpful for me because the way that he talked about darkness doesn't remember happiness. Like that felt very near to how I felt at that moment. And, and a lot of even the last year, and I think it was just kind of an eye-opening thing. So as you can see, like he's talking to the Lord. He's fully honest with the Lord. And what you'd think, like... Again, this is maybe me letting you into how I thought through this, but what I thought was that trusting the Lord meant slapping on a really happy face in the midst of hard things and kind of giving God the, but he knows, he's the author, right? Like, he knows everything, like, he's, he's got this, it's, it's good. But when something shakes you to the very core of your heart, like, that's just really hard to do, and it's so disingenuous, and God doesn't, like that like he wants you to come to him in your anguish and what's interesting is what we're going to see is what you think like you know jeremiah you think he would have to end it with like but i trust you god you got this like you're gonna deliver us but he's pouring out this raw anger towards him and we're going to see what it does so can i have another brave volunteer read 21 through 24 Yeah. Um, but this I call to mind, and therefore I hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, therefore I will hope in him. So that, like, it, when you read that after what we just read, it changes everything, right? Like, it switches everything. Um, and it becomes this beautiful anger towards the Lord, reminding himself of these truths, and then produces a deeper faith. So in our suffering, the more that we direct our anger and feelings and emotions toward the Lord, it's going to draw you to him. You shouldn't turn away from him. You shouldn't make him into a small God. He's big enough to take your anger. He's big enough to hold everything you got, and he paid for it. So he wants all of it. He wants you to turn it towards him, and it's going to produce a deeper faith, and not the faith that you're the one standing there when you go through something hard or when someone goes through something hard going, that's okay, God's got this. You can deeply feel with people and deeply walk through um, whatever's going to come your way. And um, the other, if anyone, I guess all of you should read Lamentations 3 at some point. Um, you can go through the whole thing, but some other promises that he said, says is in 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he causes grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. 57, you came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. So this is all within that same lament to the Lord. Um, and this, all of this kind of creates a purpose to our pain. Um, which, so that means that this gives us a category to think that um, God often uses things that are incredibly hard or causes grief in our life, um, but it serves a bigger purpose to draw us to him. So I think one of the biggest things that we have felt over the years that he's drawing us to him in this. Like he wants me bawling my eyes out every morning in the shower. He wants me when I'm happy. He wants me when I'm sad. He wants all of this to draw us to himself. Um, 
and it creates a deep, meaningful purpose in it. It's not just pain for the sake of pain. It doesn't leave you sitting in that darkness. It gives you a hope to move forward in, in growing closer to the Lord. And it ultimately creates us a longing for heaven. So Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has set eternity in our hearts. We wait for the... And you said eternity in our hearts. So we wait for the day that we get to go home with him. So like Reed was saying, you know, we have the beginning of our story. We know the beginning. You can look back. You all were born. Then I hope all of you have a beginning of your spiritual story. When God saved you, he gave you a new heart. We can look back on that and you can see all these stories are woven together. And then maybe you're right here and you're in the middle of something. And maybe it's really hard. Maybe it's not. Maybe someone you know is going through something really hard. The sweet part about it is that we know the very end of the story is that we get to go home and be with Jesus where there's no sadness, where there's no tears, where he keeps all of the babies and he keeps all of the people who have passed away of cancer or the pals or all of them. Like we get to go home with them um, and not have to deal with any of that. And that's our hope. And so we have this, the beginning, all these hard things and then redemption and then we're in the middle where we want to read ahead and go to the end of the of the book, but um, all of the things that we're going through are pointing us towards the end of the book, too, and makes us long for that deeper than maybe we would have, um, and our pain's more than pain. Um, we have purpose and hope with Christ. So just in ending, like, why in the world do we lament? Like, just helpful things, like, why would we even want to lament and go through that process? And I think the biggest reason is because we have a God who cares and loves us. Like, the Bible says, Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted with we are yet without sin. Like, again, in this story of the gospel, we have a God who entered into our brokenness and pain for us. Like, to suffer for us. Like, He's well acquainted with our pain and brokenness and sin, and yet He did it to give us redemption and hope. So, there's a lot of hope for us here. God is with us. God is for us. Um... A guy by the name of Dan Allender says, he, says this. He says, God is uh, not, not there simply to stop our suffering this side of heaven, but he is there. He's there in the midst of it all. So God doesn't promise that he's going to give us the fairy tale ending. God doesn't promise that he's going to give us exactly what we want, but he's there. And that's an unbelievable comforting promise that the God of the universe is there for us. That gives us great hope. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And so God might be shouting at you, and he wants you to come towards him, to move towards him. And so even now, like God's writing a beautiful story that is your life. And yet, if it interrupted at the wrong place, could be a tragedy. And yet we get the promise he's not done. He's not done with your story. And he doesn't guarantee us a happy ending. He doesn't guarantee us the Disney perfect thing we want in the end. But he gives us himself. And yet, himself is enough. And it's a great promise that we get. So so what we want to encourage you guys with as we close is, is big picture wise, we want you to move towards God in the midst of your suffering and pain. So maybe there's people in this room that like can help you, point you towards Christ in the midst of your pain and suffering. Maybe there's, uh, maybe what you need to do, you've been stuffing your emotions when it comes to your pain and suffering. And for some of you, maybe you need to start journaling. Maybe you need to pray and cry out to the Lord like Jeremiah does in Lamentations. Like, have you ever thought you could be that real with God? Like, you're grinding my teeth on gravel. Like, I've just never talked to God that way. And yet, He knows what we're going through and wants us to come to Him in that way. He holds our tears. Like, what are some promises that you can claim? You guys could just write these down. I won't read them all, but... uh Psalm, some of our favorites. Yeah, Psalm 139, verse 12 has been really helpful for us. You guys can just write that down. Um, Psalm 112, verse 7. Isaiah 43, 2. Isaiah 41, 10. All of these verses are promises that you can claim in the midst of pain and suffering. and can really help you in the midst of it. And then lastly, trust Jesus in the midst of this. He gives meaning to our pain. He's the source of our hope. And He gives us the promise of healing. Either in this life or in the life to come. Revelation 21 says, One day there will be no pain, no more suffering. 
no more sadness. So whatever you're walking through, that maybe it'll be taken care of in this life, but we get the promise one day of heaven where everything's going to be the way that it should. And that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're clinging towards is that promise. But this side of heaven, we move towards Jesus in it. So let me pray, and then if you guys have questions or want to talk to us, we can. We will also put up, you can take a picture of it if it's helpful. We put together, if you want to flip to it now. Keep going. Yeah, we put together just helpful things that were, that met us where we were at. So if you're going through something hard, take a picture of it. Some of the songs are great. Otherwise, there's some helpful articles and sermons. So let me pray. God, I, I thank you that you're a God that that moves towards us in our pain and brokenness, that you sent your Son for us, and that gives us true true comfort, that, that we can rest in ultimate promises, that he who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? You've already given us Jesus. And yet, God, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, it's it can be easy to stiff-arm you. It can be easy to move away from you, and yet... So often in the midst of our pain and suffering, you're, you're welcoming, welcoming us towards you. You want us to move towards you in your pain. Like Lamentations 3, you want us to cry out to you. You want us to pray to you. And yet you're there for us. You're right there. Um, and so God, I pray that that's what would happen. In the midst of our pain and suffering, this side of heaven, we'd move towards you. That we would trust you. And yet so often, we won't have the answers we want. We won't understand all the whys, but... We have a God who loves us. We have a God who's good, a God who's working all things together for us, including our pain and suffering. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to navigate walking forward. Would you help us to lean in a community that will push us that direction? And ultimately, would you push us to see more of you, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, any questions in light of any of this? I know that, again, we covered kind of a lot in a really short amount of time, but... Any questions in the midst of any of this, or maybe a specific question, or even if it's uh, super specific, you can come talk to us afterwards, too. Not all at once. Yeah. Do you think, like, pain and suffering can just happen, or does that always cause it? Like, can just bad things just happen, or, like, does it happen? Yes. Yeah. So... I've thought a lot about that question, too. Yeah, do you want to start? I'll expand the Yeah, you should... I'm... I always get nervous up front, and I can't answer questions very well to begin with, so he can fill in my gaps. But um, I think that when sin entered the picture, I think that puts us in a different category. Like, I think, yes, to both of those things. Like, I think God has a sovereign hand over everything. But I think that because we're we're a part of this world and not the world to come right now, I think bad things can happen. But I think God knows about each of them. So kind of yes to both, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so they can happen. And God still can use that thing for good. So it's not only that it just happened, like, God still, it's not like, oh, shoot, they got me. It's like, he knows that, and he can actually still use that. You know what I'm saying? Good question. Yeah, great question. What else? Yeah. Um, in the midst of this, like, last year and your suffering, like, you obviously are still on mission and doing your job. Like, how did that tie in together, and how, how is it harder Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you could ask a lot of the girls in the front row or in our D group, and I feel like they got, I mean, they got a firsthand look at every emotion that, (laughs) they got a lot of real life stuff, and I think they would probably be better to ask that question, but it was really hard. But I think that I kept being reminded of that, like, if God's the one using all of everything in our life, like, he must want to use this too. And I think it was really helpful for me, too, that he creates, like, the way that he designed us is that we minister best out of weakness, which I'm like, man, that's so helpful, like, that we minister best when we're weak and when we're not doing well. And so I think that has been kind of a a backdrop. I think it's in, what is it, 2 Corinthians 1, 2, uh, 1 also. 
um, that it talks about how we go through things to be able to relate to others in their brokenness and suffering. And I think um, that was also kind of the backdrop to where I didn't ever want to put on like a happy face for them for the sake of putting on a happy face. But I really wanted to let them in on what we were going through, even though, I mean, they probably felt just as overwhelmed as we did. But it was really hard. I mean, there were days, too, where it was like I feel like I just wanted to be alone more, which is not as I'm not normally as introverted as I was the la- this last year. But I feel like God met me in those places and drew me out and would bring me back to people. And I think these girls and guys that were in our group were just amazing for us. They were, like, healing for our heart, too. Um, yeah, I would just say, like, it's kind of cool to actually see the body get to work in that moment because typically when you think about discipleship, it's like you have a clear leader leading someone, and yet it was a cool opportunity even for our students and staff to meet us where we were at and to be comfort for us and to model the gospel for us and to be there to love on us because so often it feels like that's kind of what we're trying to do, which can be like the weird dynamic, like we have to be strong before people, but yet being real allowed the body or allowed our people in our group allowed our staff team to come around us and love us when we needed to be loved. So I think the big thing is we just tried to be, we tried to walk forward as real and as vulnerable as we can be in the midst of tears, in the midst of sad and hard season. And yet um, it feels like we didn't stiff arm people in our lives, including people we were discipling and they got to be that support for us, which further deepened our relationships and got to see the body at work, you know what I'm saying? Which was really cool. It's a good question. Yeah. How, what are some practical ways that you can walk through with somebody else some suffering? Yeah. So obviously this is more tailored towards personal, but speaking from experience, what were some really helpful things that your church, your staff members... Yeah. Um, did to you because you know like leaving you alone isn't the best but also intervening and just giving you perspective isn't the best either like yeah that's such a thoughtful question I think even asking you that you'd be such a great person to probably walk alongside somebody Um, but I think having the boldness to ask like I think so, so many times if you've had someone around you that's really hurting you don't know how to ask them things, or you're afraid if you ask them something, that's going to stir up everything and it's going to make them more sad. But I think the boldness to just ask them how they're doing or make observations like, hey, was that hard for you? Was it hard to do this? But, you know, like, tell me about your week. I think just being there was really helpful. Um, have you guys all, have you, have you guys seen that video of the, what's it, the bear goes down in the hole? It's like the empathy video. Oh man, that it's it's gold too. I wish we would have put that up there. But I, it's this cute video about how to empathize with someone instead of sympathizing. So I think the empathy part is really like walking alongside them and and trying to feel what they feel too. So I think some of the most helpful things were we had people within like a day of telling people. It seemed like friends of ours just showed up. They were like, "Hey, we're gonna cook you meals." And I was like, oh, we don't need meals. Like, I'm fine. And they were like, that, that's okay. We got you a freezer full of meals, so you don't need to think about food. Or another friend of ours um, both came over and just cried with us. And that those, those things were, like, some of the most loving things that people did was to just show up and be there and ask questions and be present, I think. I think uh, creating space to feel is... A lot of times in our culture, we try to shut down feelings, especially negative feelings, and I'm kind of gearing this a little bit more towards guys. Girls are a little bit better at this. God has wired you in such a way you can express your feelings, the good, the bad, the ugly, which is awesome. And yet, guys, a lot of times we try to suppress our feelings, so creating a space that you can kind of hurt, mourn, cry is really valuable because a lot of times what we want to do because our knee-jerk reaction is we don't know how to deal with hard things, is we try to shut it down rather than just letting us walk through it. So a lot of times we found ourselves, so, so many times people try to give us like a half-truth that wasn't really helpful. Like what would be helpful is, man, I'm really sorry you're feeling that way. Like I'm here for you. But a lot of times someone would say, well, hey, it's okay, you guys are young. You know, and it's like, 
Okay, that's not helpful, right? We are young, you're right. But that again, so like things like that. So sometimes like speaking less, listening more and helping draw them out versus trying to like give them truth or even like at points in the midst of, especially like uh, at the start of real pain and suffering, uh, their heart might not even be ready to receive truth or the Bible. So rather than just like quick slapping Romans 8.28, which is true and it's a great promise for us, but maybe just starting with, hey, how are you feeling? Like, what's going on right now? And just asking some questions. And you might get to praying, and you might get to reminding them of truth and some scripture, but right away just creating a space just to feel is, I think, a really good thing. So, And you can use Lamentations 3, too. I think... There's a couple on our staff team that have gone through some really hard seasons, and I think they, even them, because I fell into the category where people would tell me these these things, like the verse that, that was out of 2 Corinthians about relating to others and their suffering. They'd be like, well, you're just going to be way more equipped to walk through suffering with people. In the moment, I was like, I don't want that. Like, I would rather walk, you know, I got all these things that I've gone through in my past, I feel fine about walking girls through all these things, but I don't want this. And so I think, and then the the couple on the staff team would send us text messages about verses that were really honest and helpful from Lamentations 3 or the verse that we quoted to the darkness is not dark to God. Like they would quote that, that, that verse hung in our shower for, I mean, it's still in there. And I'd look at it every morning because that felt like more truth to me that in the darkness that I felt instead of the, hey, his mercies are new each morning. You know, the thumbs up verse. But that's a really thoughtful question. That's good. Any other questions? Well, feel free. We'll kind of like release you guys. But if you guys want to come talk to us individually, you can. We also, everything that's up there here on Sheets. So if you're like, I didn't take a picture. I want to grab one of those. I want to know some articles. Um, you can grab a sheet. Um, otherwise, you guys are free till 7. And again, Nikki and I would love to meet with you guys. Love to talk. So you're formally free though. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.